Random Inks Productions and the Credible Nerds present the Fourth Taviran, a Wheel of Time podcast. The wheel of time turns, and ages come and pass, leaving memories that become legend. Legend fades to myth, and even myth is long forgotten when the age that gave it birth comes again. In one age, called the third age by some, an age yet to come, an age long past, a wind rose in the mountains of mist. The wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time, but it was a beginning. Welcome everyone to the fourth Taviran, a Wheel of Time podcast from your hosts, the Credible Nerds. My name is Justin, and as always, I have my co-host and fellow Taviran with me, Mark. Hey guys, how's it going? And this is episode three of our fourth Taviran podcast, and today we'll be covering chapters 11 through 15 from The Eye of the World, which is book one in the Wheel of Time fantasy series that was written by Robert Jordan. And the last two episodes, we've covered a couple prologues as well as all the chapters up through chapter 10. So if you haven't listened to those, uh, go back and listen to those first two episodes to catch up um, and kind of find out what's what's been happening lately. But this episode, will start off with chapter 11, The Road to Terran Ferry. Is it Terran or Taran? I always say Terran. I say Taryn as well. Um, I, I've heard it. Uh, I think they say Taryn Ferry in the um, audio book. So that's, I just stick with it. Yeah. One thing I read on online somewhere this past week was that um, about the pronunciations of the, of the names. We've kind of gone over that in the previous episodes, but because um, everyone says things differently, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess for the first audiobook, maybe the first two audiobooks, the the readers contacted Robert Jordan be like, "Hey, how do you say uh 90 or how do you say Moraine, you know, all these words. How do you say I said I?" And he told them. And then he says Robert Jordan said that they after the first or second audiobook, they just quit calling and they kind of made it up <laughs> what sounded best for them or what was easy for them to pronounce as they were reading the story. So uh, that's, I thought that was kind of funny because I always thought, well, because I knew they had contacted Robert Jordan to get the correct pronunciation, but apparently they stopped after a while. So, how <laughs> you say these names? Well, I mean, I, I can only imagine. Like, these books are long, and you probably have like, uh, you know, two or three hundred words. Like, hey, how do you say this? How do you say this? And I'm sure that they just are like, okay, yeah, we've called them like a thousand times. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I, that makes sense, but kind of funny because they have the, if you read the books in the back, they have glossaries and they, they tell you how to pronounce the, each name. Yeah. And even with the glossaries, right, Justin and I continue to pronounce things different. So, yeah. uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is. So, yeah. And someone likened it, I think it was on Twitter, someone likened it to, well, if you're in the South, you know, the deep South, you're going to say different words than if you were in, you know, the West. Or California or New England, right? Everybody says the same word differently, so it's 
it's kind of, I think it's a good explanation. You know, it's not so different that you don't know what they're saying, but it's just a different way to pronunciate these words. So I think mm. that was good. But before we get started, I wanted to talk about some Wheel of Time news. Uh, the last episode we talked about, they were having the the writer, the showrunner of, of Wheel of Time TV show, uh, Rafe Judkins, was having a, a contest. They had bought a a new writer's room or moved into a new writer's room and it was pretty empty on the walls and they wanted some decorations. So they challenged the fans on Twitter to submit lots of art and projects and things like that to, so they decorate their office basically. And they, they were going to announce the winners. And so they did that recently and they announced the top three with the first one being a, uh, they called it eight bit boys. And it's kind of this, um, I got the impression it was, you know, those little beads that you can put them together and iron them with an iron. They kind of melt together and form a picture or, mm -hmm. you know, something design or something. I forget what they're called, but that's what it looked like to me. And it was three, the three Taviran boys, Matt, Rand and Perrin. And they were, it looks, it's pretty creative uh, the way that it was made. And I thought that was pretty cool. Oh yeah, I'm looking at it. It's basically like a, uh, you know, if you're a computer nerd or anything, and you know what an 18-bit or 16-bit game is from back in the day. Yeah, it's just kind of that look, like blocky, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's pretty. It's pretty cool. I'm looking at it. I, I like it. Yeah, I thought it was pretty creative, and they did a good job with it. So I was, I've definitely thought that was definitely one of the the better ones to pick. I haven't seen them all, obviously, but I like it. And then the second one was a heron-marked sword that someone made or I don't know how they made it. Maybe they got a sword and kind of just etched the herons in it, but I mean, it's pretty cool. I, I thought that would take first place, but uh, it took second and it was pretty, pretty cool. I'd like to hang that over my fireplace. That's for sure. Oh yeah. This looks sweet. I'm just, uh, I just Googled it. Right. And, uh, yeah. it looks, it looks pretty legit. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. And then the final, the first place winner, uh, was I, someone was posting them on probably the creator of them was posting them on Twitter throughout the past couple of weeks, but they're like these tabloid front covers with these, you know, they have those crazy headlines with these weird pictures. And so someone had submitted, I think eight, six or eight of them and with different sayings and headlines and pictures and stuff. And that's what ended up winning first place was those tabloid front covers from uh, the Wheel of Time story. So I, I, are you seeing those there, Mark? Are you looking at those? Uh, I, I'm putting it in, but uh, I don't see. It just pulls up a bunch of dumb tabloids yeah. about Donald Trump. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. um, I'll have to look, but uh, they kind of sound like they'd be pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah, they're pretty cool. I like them. I think they're they're good. Definitely all three are great choices and definitely worthy of winning the contest. So we just uh, wanted to give an update on that. If you're on Twitter, go check it out. Go to Rafe Judkins' uh, Twitter account and you'll see pictures of them from, I think it was, you know, the first of January around that time frame. So go check it out. So we'll keep you updated on the latest Wheel of Time news. Uh, lately, there hasn't been too much going on. They're just ramping up with, you know, writing scripts and getting organized, all that sort of stuff. So 
right now the news is kind of sparse and I'm sure as we get closer to them actually, you know, auditioning for parts and picking actors for characters, the, the news will come a little more frequently and be, be a lot more interesting. So, but we'll mm-hmm. definitely keep you updated on the latest wheel of time news. I bet we'll see a big ramp up out right after uh, game of Thrones is over. I yeah. See, let's just nonstop news about it. And I think kind of, that's what this is all, you know, like the timing is going to be, we're going to see game of Thrones end and then a movie, you know, like a, you know, how they do the seasons for the different, you know, series like you'll see like a half a season go by and then we'll see this start yeah yeah i can see that so hopefully they start filming later this year that'd be awesome Um, i think that's kind of quick but um you never know Mm -hmm. so yeah latest that's the latest news from the wheel of time um so chapter 11 the road to terran ferry um last we left our group of adventurers which is Lan, Moraine, Rand, Matt, Perrin, Tom, and Egwene, and Bella, of course. Uh, they were leaving the two rivers, Emmonsfield, and heading off into, you know, they're headed to Tarvalon with the Aes Sedai to be safe, to escape the Trollocs. So this chapter picks up with that, and they're headed up north on the north road, and they're going to um, Watch Hill, which is the next town. And they're just kind of going by the cover of night, trying to hide. And uh, they're running the horses pretty hard. And uh, Moraine is is healing the horses. And that's one thing that's revealed in this chapter is that um, uh, they're, the boys are kind of worried about the, the horses, but Moraine's touching them and kind of healing their tiredness. And But Moraine marks that, remarks that uh, Bella is is not as tired as the rest of them so it's an interesting fact that we'll address later but while they're while they're doing that they hear the drag car you know which is the flying murderall basically and they hear the the drag car screams so everybody gets all worried and they jump back on their houses their horses and start galloping into the night once again um, moraine uses fog to envelop the the riders the group um, she calls, you know, she's able to control the weather just a little bit. Um, so she calls forth fog to to hide them. So they keep riding and riding through the night. They eventually make it, they make it to Terran Ferry. And as they get to the village, uh, they go to the house of the, the guy who's in charge of the ferry, who happens to be named Master Hightower. Now, does that sound familiar to you, Mark? Uh, Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Game of Thrones, uh, the High Towers are um, kind of a big name in the old, the old kind of old guard, right when Ned Stark was young. But uh, yeah, okay, I remember them both. Of them. So yeah, High Tower. Yeah. So apparently, that's a, a common name in these fantasy novels. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, so they get Master High Tower. It's still the middle of the night. They get him up. They pay him a lot of gold, and they get on the ferry and cross over. That's the the basis of that chapter. Uh, pretty pretty straightforward, you know. I think the only interesting thing really is that Moraine uses the one power a couple times in this chapter. Um, mm-hmm. We see her use it to heal the horses, and we see her call forth the fog. Something that's you know only I said I or someone who uses the one power can do. Mm-hmm. When it 
uh, I mean, it doesn't make sense now, but uh, you kind of get to see the the width, the breadth, whatever the word is, of Moiraine's power, yeah. right? Because, uh, I mean, kind of jumping ahead, we see Varen talk about, you know, they, they ask her to change the, the weather in book three, and she's like, yeah, no, no, I can't do that. You know what I mean? It's like, no. <laughs> and what uh, um, Moiraine most definitely can, and so to, to, you know, affect that larger of an area is quite a feat uh, in, it, in and of itself. And, and you learn that, you know, you gain more perspective of it later, but it, it's pretty amazing. Um, and then I had forgot when I was reading this that we had been introduced to Dragcar um, this early in the book. Yeah. And how much you just didn't know about it. You know, you just didn't uh, get a lot of information. And um, I'll be talking more uh, about uh, the Shadow Spawn. That's what, uh, you know, all the evil armies are called, the Shadow Spawn. I'll be talking more kind of in depth about those in, in uh, one of my uh, side writings that I'm going to do about. Um, but Dragcar are actually, uh, you know, really dangerous in their own right. They're pretty feared. So uh, that there was one there following him kind of shows how uh, not how desperate I guess the dark side, you know, uh, the dark was to try to stop stop these guys. That yeah. Dragcar. Yeah, they were going all in if they're sending Murdral, Trollocs, and a Dragcar all all at once to get them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, pr- pretty cool. Um, uh, you know, the drag car, but basically what drag car is, is it like a crazy evil human being with wings, right? Like kind of like a, like a vampire, I guess would be the closest, yeah. uh, thing I could get to it, but they're pretty, they're pretty neat. Like I said, look, look for that. And we'll talk more about drag car, what they are, trollocks, mid roll and stuff, because it, it doesn't really go into super depth about them, but, uh, there, there's some, uh, they're fun, fun to talk about, you know, kind of scary and, kind of gives you a little bit um grounding about what what they can do yeah definitely so they're able to rouse the the master of the ferry to get across the the river the Terran river there chapter 12 is is called across the Terran. so pretty pretty basic chapter headings here road to Terran ferry then across the Terran. So, mm-hmm. um here they're they're able to to cross it, there's like this uh, ferry that they get all all the the group and their horses get on it, and the the guy Master High Tower has these helpers that pull the rope and pull them across the river. I guess it's pretty wide and fast running and deep, so it's dangerous to just you know build a bridge or whatever. But that's how they they get across. They get across, and land pays them some more gold, and there's kind of a hint that. Uh, Master Hightower and his group are going to attack those guys and steal their money. But um, Rand and Matt and Perrin kind of get their weapons ready and put their hand on their sword type stuff. So <laughs> Tom pulls out a dagger and he's trimming his fingernails. So I thought that was kind of funny that they kind of nonchalantly say, hey, don't mess with us or we're going to kill you. So <laughs> Master Hightower and his goons kind of leave with what they got. Yeah, it's uh, so these chapters are kind of um, right here in the middle. I don't know. They kind of for me, they're they're not really super boring, but it's just kind of mundane a little bit, right? You're just kind of reading. Oh, we're running, and yeah. there's more woods, and there's more woods, and we're gonna go over this hill, and look, 
there's more woods. So, <laughs> um, you know, uh, but there's a lot of good side information in these chapters. So it's good to read it, read them, kind of understand, you know, read between the lines type thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, stick with it here. I, I know these chapters are going to be slow for you, but um, it, it really starts picking up. Um, as we get through so like these last two chapters uh, up until chapter 13 is just almost the same chapters yeah but they move pretty quickly i mean they're running and you kind of get that anticipation that uh fear of something chasing them so i mean you read through i read through them pretty quick so mm-hmm. but, like i said not much happens but um in this chapter we do see they they take uh, they get across the terrain and they keep going and then they find this resting place that lan has prepared for the group um, and they kind of go hide under these trees that are in this big pile. At least that's the impression I got. So um, Moraine and Egwene kind of go off to themselves and they start talking and um, Lan and the boys are outside of the, that uh, those trees and are talking as well. And then when the boys go in to the, where Egwene and Moraine are, they find that Moraine is teaching Egwene about the one power and she actually shows Egwene how to channel the one power, how to use the one power to create a small light. And so Maureen kind of, I think she kind of jumped the gun here, but she seemed, she must've been pretty excited, but she says that, you know, Egwene, you've done something that's not many women who go to the tower to train learn that quickly. She's picked it up really quick and she may even, become the Amarillin seat one day, which is like the, the head I said, I, and I thought that was when I first read, I was like, wow, that's, you know, here she is this farm girl and she's going to become head. I said, I someday, but um, <laughs> yeah, she says that and definitely some foreshadowing going on there. Mm. Well, and it makes you wonder too, like, uh, because as you'll read through these books, uh, I said, I are like the, the best manipulators in the world. So it makes you wonder if when they recruit, if that's what they say to all, every girl, like to get them yeah. excited, they come like, Oh yeah, if you leave home, you could become the most powerful woman in the world. Uh, while scrubbing <laughs> that's a good by. point. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of wonder because, you know, they can't lie. We learned in uh, earlier when we talked about it, that, that um, I said, I can't lie. And, but that's not necessarily a lie, right? She may, she could one day become a Merlin or anybody could become a Merlin, you know, that goes to the White Tower. But the likelihood is so small, but you can say it without lying, I guess. It's yeah. one of those things. There's a 0.01% chance it could be you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> such a thin uh, thin layer. And we'll learn more kind of about the uh, the three O's and stuff like that, that the uh, I said I take later and kind of the their sneaky ways around them yeah so Egwene's excited and she tells Rand hey I'm going to be a nice today and Rand and the boys his friends Matt and Perrin are do not like that at all so there's mm-hmm. a little conflict there well it's and you kind of learn later that it's such a misunderstanding right that uh people fear this power from the women uh and it mostly comes to because of the breaking, right? Uh, yeah. The breaking happened because of the one power. And now these women use the one power. But it's just, it just really all comes down to this huge misunderstanding that these people have of it. Yeah. Uh, and so they're just, you know, they're just scared their whole lives. They grew up, you know, oh, you know, the Aes Sedai are 
wicked or they're crazy or they'll kill people. No, they won't kill people. They'll kidnap you or, you know, whatever it is. So, uh, you know, they're just totally against it. Like, how could you, you know, it's, it's against everything that we knew when we were growing up. Yeah. Yep. So then we transition into the next chapter, chapter 13 called choices. And, um, as they kind of goes back to the group and Moraine uses the power to kind of do the same thing she did with the horses where she, she takes away their tiredness and they're able to to keep running and riding the horses. Um, and this chapter, the start of this chapter, Rand, Matt and Perrin, they think they're only going to be gone from the two rivers from their home for a short time that they're going to, you know, just go on this adventure. They're going to go to Tarvalin and then come back home and everything's going to go back to normal. So that's kind of their mindset. It's just, hey, we're going to go on this quick adventure, come back. It's going to be fun. And everything's going to be cool when we get back. So, uh, But Egwene, her, her mindset is, hey, I'm leaving. I'm not coming back. I'm going to the, the tower, uh, learn how to be a nice to die and a little more forward thinking than the boys are. Mm-hmm. So... They get back on their horses and head out again uh, towards Barillon. That's the next city on their stop uh, to the, to Tarvalon. And they're still headed north from the two rivers. Um, so they keep going. They they stop again for the nights. And Rand, he, he's kind of upset with what's going on with Egwene. So he's, he wants to kind of listen in on what Moraine and Egwene are talking about. So they go off again to talk and uh, Rand sneaks over and starts to listen and we hear Moraine or I guess we don't hear Rand hears and we're told through him that uh, they talk about the five powers, um, how um, Moraine is telling Egwene, kind of like what you're saying that the I said, I, the, the female I said, I aren't evil. You know, they're not the bad guys. The, the men were the ones that went insane and broke the world and kind of went crazy and did all these crazy things and hurt people. So, um, she kind of gives Egwene a rundown and reassures her, Hey, it's going to be okay. There's going to be some, you know, some stuff going on in the white tower. You'll find out there's, there's good Aes Sedai. And then there's not necessarily bad, but they're not, you know, ones you want to hang out with. They're manipulative a little bit. Some, some are brave, some are weak. You know, you just, you don't know. They're all, they're all kinds of Aes Sedai. So she kind of gives uh, Egwene the rundown what's going on mm-hmm. and this is kind of too where we learn like the different ajas right they talk about like the blue the gray the brown etc is that right uh i'm not exactly sure i know she talks about the the five powers earth wind water spirit fire mm-hmm. yeah pretty much if you watch captain planet back in the day it's pretty much that <laughs> yeah or um avatar the last airbender <laughs> yep yep so apparently uh there's just only so many elements. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, it's pretty cool. But yeah, I can't remember if they talk about the Ajas here. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, we start getting a better look into who the Aes Sedai are, what they really stand for. Uh, and obviously, it's, it's kind of a one-sided conversation because there's no way Maureen's going to be like, yeah, we have these Ajas and we're, we totally fight against each other. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we learn more about that really, I guess, in, in late book two and book three. Uh, when once we get to the White Tower, but uh, um, it, it's pretty interesting to learn more and more about the Aes Sedai because there's so much to know, and uh, so it's always fun when they talk about it. Pay attention because it'll do you 
uh, a lot of, it would benefit you a lot later in the book. Yeah. <clears throat> so next stop, they come up on Berlon. Uh, she tells the group, Hey, you know, here, my name is Alice and Lan, his name is Andra. So don't call us by our real names. So they head up to the gate. The gatekeeper sees them and lets them in because he knows Moraine. Um, he tells them the white cloaks are in town and, uh, you know, watch out for them because they're there to cause trouble. And white cloaks are another major player in the story. You know, we're, we see them this early in the book in chapter 13 and they're pretty much there the rest of the story. So the white cloaks are kind of, I guess you could say they're neutral, but they're, what is it? There's like, chaotic good neutral good you know that sort of thing that whole mindset Mm -hmm. and they're definitely um in the neutral side they're they don't they have their own agenda i'll just say that you know they want to be in power they want to rule as much of the land as they can they feel like they have you know their mission is the right one and i said i are evil all that sort of thing so they're, they're more like a, um, they're kind of like a lawful good character as well. Yeah, I mean. like too lawful. Like, yeah, like you know, and we'll meet. I, I don't want to spoil anything, so I'll skip what I was just gonna say. But um, <laughs> uh, we'll meet some characters that will will completely, you know, when they talk about this character, you're like, oh, yep, that's a white cloak, and that's what a white cloak is. You know, they are lawful good to the, um. It could be chaotic though, because they kind of like, they have their own belief system regardless of the law. And that belief system is, is what it is, right? Regardless, like we don't care what the law says, this is what's right. And, you know, we kill anybody to accomplish our goals. And the way I see them is they are like the fanatic zealots of the, um, uh, the Templars, you know, of like Knights Templars or something like that. They are just these crazy fanatics almost. And, and there's some big names throughout the white cloaks and, and we'll read more about them later, but uh, they, they play a big part in this book. They're never going to disappear. And it's, it's so strange that they're just always around there. Like, even if they're not a major player in certain events, they're always involved in like every event. So it's completely crazy how, how everywhere they are. So, um, but uh, they're a lot of fun. I think, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting characters that come in and out of the um, white cloaks and, uh, and we'll continue to read about them. And, and same thing, I'm going to talk more about the white cloak structure and uh, who's who and in, in another uh, um, writing that I'm going to post. So look for that and we'll let you know when you get, we're going to, I'm going to do this and they'll be fun to read into. Cause same thing, it, it tells you a little bit, but it doesn't just go into the, all the nitty gritty of everything. You kind of have to read about that on the side. Yeah. So this gatekeeper, he also mentions a false dragon in Gildan and there's an army. So that comes into play a little bit later down the road as well. Um, they, they enter the city of Barillon and here we hear first about the Carathon cycle from Tom. Tom tells Rand a little bit about it. Uh, talks about the dragon reborn because, because of the false dragon that they just heard about. Tom starts telling a little bit, a little bit more about the, the real dragon. Rand doesn't know what to think of the prophecies, but um, you know, this is the first time we hear about that. 
And then they arrive at the, the inn called the Stag and Lion. And Moraine and Lan know the, the innkeeper there. So he lets him inside, gives him some hot meals, and gets him, you know, takes good care of him. So that's the that chapter. And chapter 14, they're there at the Stag and Lion Inn. They're there in Barillon. Um, they get all cleaned up. They take some baths, that sort of thing. But uh, again here, Rand takes a nap. He likes to nap apparently. <laughs> and as he does, um, he has a dream about Balsamon. And Balsamon is there chasing him and he kind of tries to escape, but he can't. Everywhere he goes, Balsamon's there waiting for him. So Rand starts to engage in a conversation with him. He asks Rand about the eye of the world. He asks about the Amberlin seats, if, um, if the Amberlin seat's going to use them. So Rand's kind of freaked out and he tells him that, hey, you're supposed to be bound in Sheol Ghul, which is the, the headquarters of the Dark One. And this is kind of an interesting point because we hear that Balsamon is one of the, the Forsaken. So he's supposed to be bound with the other 12 Forsaken, you know, in this prison, basically. But here he is. And... Balsamon says that he's he's never been bound. You know, that's not, you know, that didn't happen to me. I was with Luce Theron when he killed everyone, when he created Dragon Mount. He was there to whisper in Archer Hawkwing's ear and kind of direct his thing, his, his campaign. And then, you know, so he says throughout history, I've been there. I've influenced. Didn't he say something about the Trollock Wars too? Yeah, he was there for that. So he's supposed to be bound, but yet here he is, you know, popping up throughout history creating chaos. So that's, that's an interesting topic. Um, so Rand thinks he's dreaming, but then Balsamon makes these rats break their back to show him that he's not dreaming. This freaks out Rand and he wakes up and kind of gets up. And that's when the chapter ends. So I don't know if you want to talk about Balsamon now, or if we want to save that for a different episode, but yeah, this, this is such a broad subject, uh, because, um, you know who, you know what we know about Baalzaman so far, right? Um, you know he's around. His eyes are are fire. His mouth is fire. Um, you know they. Oh, I think we find out actually later he's a forsaken, <laughs> but uh, right now they think he's the dark one. The yeah. Baalzaman is the dark one. He is, yeah. you know, and is what they call him. You know, and. He is supposed to be bound in Sheol Ghul and not away. Uh, we find out later more about his his origins and who he really is and things like that. Um, it's kind of hard because I don't want to give a lot away uh, with Balsam because there's still a lot to learn about him. Um, but I think one of the things I can say is that we find out kind of um, that he is forsaken and why he was able to touch the world where other forsaken weren't. And it just basically explains it, that he was trapped on the edge, you know, uh, and I talk about this in the breaking uh, and we'll talk more about that a little later, but um, he was bound when they created the, the prison with the um, Quendalar. Yeah. Uh, he was bound just below the surface of the prison. And so um, he was able to uh, kind of, 
escape that on a on a certain basis like every hundred years or thousand years or whatever it was and touch the world for a time and then he would be bound again Uh and so uh but it talks about that he is the first forsaken to be able to escape uh you know and and i guess that gives it away there'll be more forsaken coming (laughs) uh but he is the first one that's out and um, you find, you know, as I've been reading, you know, the side stuff, the extra books, the white books, things like that, you find out that he escaped probably two or three years before, um, like full time, like he was full time out two or three years before that. And he was definitely out, uh, when Rand was born. So what is that? Like 17 years ago. So he was definitely out then, but he was out full time two or three years before the events of this book. All right. Yeah. So that's Balzaman right now. I, I always wondered as the story progressed and, you know, things expanded that if Robert Jordan left Balzaman kind of, because he never defined who he was until after this book. So I think maybe it's like, well, if this book doesn't do well, then I really don't have to worry about, you know, clarifying who he is or anything like that. I just kind of got that sense that he wrote this book in general, there's a lot of plot points that they they do make sense later on, but if they hadn't continued with the story, then it wouldn't have mattered. It would have been pretty plain. You know, he was the dark one. So I don't know if that makes sense. All right. And in this chapter, Rand sees Min, even though he doesn't know her name. He just kind of sees this girl in men's clothing with short hair. Um, and she looks at, at Rand and leaves and let's see yeah Min's, so my, me, Min's my favorite by the way Min's your favorite yep um of the three that'll make sense in like 10 books but of the three she's my favorite <laughs> yeah she's my least favorite i can't decide between elaine and uh the other one I'm not gonna name. I already gave too much away. <laughs> Who's Elaine? No. It sounds made up. Anyways, we'll talk about that later. Um, <laughs> then we transition into the next chapter called Strangers and Friends. You know, Rand, he wakes up from his crazy dream that he had. He sees that Lan has, has left. He goes downstairs and this is when he, he finds out about the, the rats. So in his, in his dream, uh, Balzaman broke the rats' backs. And he talk. He goes downstairs to the kitchen. He kind of sees um, the cook there, and she's talking about all these dead rats that their backs have been broken. So Rand's like freaked out about that. He goes finds Perrin, and Perrin says, "Oh, I'm not feeling well. I had some bad dreams too." They kind of talk about it, and they realize, "Hey, it's the same dream. Balzaman's in both of our dreams." So that was kind of strange for them. But uh, Rand wants to go out and explore, so he leaves. And on his way out, he, he runs into Min for the first time has a conversation with her and uh, she starts telling him some things that uh, is kind of far out there, but they're compelling. So she tells him that she sees things about people and the pattern. She sees these images, these auras around people and that um, they're all um, Rand, Matt, Perrin and Egwene. They're all tied together. They're all going to, you know, be a huge influence on the pattern. And she tells him about Egwene that, um, you know, they love each other, but not, you know, they're not going to end up together basically. And that they're just not meant for each other. And she also tells him some other things that she sees his blood upon the rocks and 
he's on his his deathbed and there's three women there uh, looking at him and so just things like that he's like okay i don't want to hear anymore and he leaves <laughs> it's like okay kook uh, <laughs> give me my hand back yeah. and you have a great day yeah and i'll send someone to come help you but the thing with men especially when you go back and do a reread all the things that she says come true. Everything, right? Like, and I've been noticing that too, like, as I'm doing a reread and she'll say something like, oh, well, that makes sense now. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, so pay attention to what she says. Uh, I, I promise you she sounds kooky, but she is a big part of the story. Yep. So he takes off and starts wandering through the town. He runs into Pat and Fane who was the peddler from the first couple chapters. Uh, and he went missing, if you remember. Uh, you know, the Trollocs attacked, and, and he's just missing. We have no idea what happened to him. Yeah. So Ren chases him down and starts talking to him. He's like, hey, where you been? What you been up to? And Fane kind of is trying to avoid him and blow him off. And Ren thinks that's kind of weird. But then Fane, he's all nervous and fidgety, and he kind of takes off and runs off, runs off. Which, uh, you know, that would kind of give me some some red flags, but Rand doesn't see those flags. And he's like, hey, my buddy Patton Fane, who I've talked to like twice. <laughs> well, they kind of knew him before that too, though, right? So like, they, I mean, while... Oh yeah, he came like every best, year, right? Yeah, why they might be best friends. Like he, he's, he knows who he is, you know, it's not that they're strangers. Yeah, that's true. So he goes chasing after Fane, but he runs into Matt... Matt and Rand start talking and say, Hey, did you see Pat and Fane? And that sort of thing. And then they talk about their dreams. They find out that, Hey, they're having the same dreams too. And all three of them are. And they all think that's really strange for that to happen. And then they run into some white cloaks and Matt kind of runs off and hides, but um, uh, Rand's kind of stuck in the street, but Matt kind of breaks these, uh, like there's these barrels on the side and he kind of breaks the thing that's holding them and they roll off and splash mud onto the white cloaks. And one of them, um, the, the leader is actually ends up being a, a major player throughout the story. Uh, Bornhald, he, he gets mad at him and confronts Rand in the street and they see his sword and they start to, to ask him questions and to kind of corner him and he tries to avoid answering him to not talk to him but um throughout that confrontation the city watch shows up and then the white cloaks leave and rand and matt take off and head back to the the inn again they meet it meet up with tom and they tell tom hey we've been having these dreams about balsamum tom's like shh don't say anything you guys are crazy don't say that name here so he shushes them and Tom tells him to be quiet. Don't talk to anybody about it. And so they go back to the inn. They meet up with Perrin and they say, hey, Perrin tells them, hey, Nynaeve's here. She's come. She's tracked us down. And then that's the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. So uh, with the when he splashed the water, was that Dane or was that? That was the kid, the son. It was the son? Yeah. Oh, okay. The younger one. It wasn't Lord Bornhold. Yeah, it was Dane. But yeah, it must have been Dane because Jepham wasn't so, I don't know, un- impatient, yeah. I guess is the right word. Not that he's a patient guy, but... Dane's a little fanatical. Yeah, a little bit more on the crazy side. Yep. So yeah, that's kind of what happens in these these chapters. It's interesting, I think I mentioned last time, the last episode, that um, having 90 show up later and of track them down after the fact I thought was kind of strange. Why didn't she just... Why didn't Robert Jordan put her with the group at the, in the beginning? And I don't know. 
for me, it seems kind of like, well, he realized he needed another female, another strong female to be there to balance out everybody. Or because later on, some stuff happens and she ends up going with people. And so I think she needed to be there. And he realized that after the fact, but I don't know. Because once she joined, the whole dynamic of the group changed for the mm. better. And I I really like her and how she <laughs> tries to you know, take control, but yet she's slapped down by Moraine. And, but yet she still keeps trying. So I think it's it's a good conflict there. So I like it. Yeah, no, she, she definitely brings a lot of... Uh, a lot of fun like i don't know dynamic to the group right i don't know if it's necessarily fun because it took me quite a few books to actually like oh, her yeah. and now the I, first time i didn't like her at all yeah but now i like after a while i, I was like man she is awesome yeah sorry and so but um it's you know it's just good it's good so i think that like you said you know daniel didn't come and there was a certain uh how to say a mesh on the group yeah. that they he needed to fulfill, and so Nineveh or Nineveh or however you want to say it, it kind of fulfilled that. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like that. She was uh, included in the group from here on out. But yeah, any thoughts on on these five chapters that we just talked about? Uh, what's your overall take from from these chapters? Man, uh, I, I I think that. Uh, one of the things maybe to take away from this is that there's a lot of great base information, right? Uh, it's late, you know, you're laying down the brickwork for a huge story. So don't get discouraged. I've talked to some people that have been like, oh man, it's just too slow or it's too, too hard of a read and stuff like that. But stick with it. I promise like this is setting down some great um, groundwork for later, especially with the children of light or the white cloaks also known as the Children of Light. Um, uh, with Padden Fane, we get to kind of see him and, and his craziness, and that's going to come out more later. And, um, you know, with them running and what they're running from, the drag car chasing them, and it's just a lot of fun. It's just going to keep building, right? The book kind of builds from here and builds and builds and builds, and all of a sudden awesome things happen, and then it builds some more, builds some more, and awesome things happen. And, I mean, we're like – three or four chapters from awesome things happening. So uh, I, I think it's fun. It's just building uh, more and more. I think, you know, that's a good takeaway from it, you know, for a first time reader, if you're not a first time reader and you're, you're joining us, you know, as, as a, a reread as well, I think it's interesting to note for me, I, I kind of look at these dreams and st stuff that he's having. And in the very last book, Rand says to Balsman, he says, you know, I don't know how you did those dreams with me, you know, when I, when I first started out, I still haven't figured it out. And Balsman never tells him. <laughs> he kind of like smiles slightly like, hmm, you know, so I've always wondered like how this all happened and, and you know, how he did it all, but it's never explained. So I've always tried to figure it out myself, but I'm not Robert Jordan. So I don't know. Yeah. So if anybody has any insight, uh, let us know on social media or send us an email. Let us know what you think. Um, because, yeah, I mean, like you said, these chapters lay some serious groundwork. The the first couple of chapters, same thing, uh, but they were stuck in Emmons Field. They didn't go anywhere. And these chapters, they're running. They, you know, there's, there's a lot of action and stuff like that. So it's a lot more interesting. But still, this is all just groundwork for the rest of the story. I mean, Padden Fane, huge character. 
Uh, we see that he didn't die in the, the Trolloc attack on the two rivers. We meet Min. We meet Dane Bornhold, another huge character. And it, it, they go a long way. I mean, this, we, you know, what we saw from Bornhold in this chapter, that's how he is the rest of the book. And, you know, just kind of lays the groundwork for him and what he does. So a lot of great stuff in these chapters. And like you said, in a couple more chapters, it gets good. It gets better. So stick with it. Mm. To, to close out, we like to review a little bit of the history, kind of the, the backstories um, of, of events, of organizations, of characters. And for this episode, we want to discuss the breaking of the world. We talked a little bit about it earlier in the episode. We wanted to save it for the end here to kind of go into a little more detail. Uh, Mark, he wrote up a kind of a synopsis of the breaking of the world and it's posted on our website, CredibleNerds.com. Go there and read it if you haven't already. Just want to address the breaking of the world and kind of what it is. So do you want to take it from here, Mark? Yeah. uh, Yes, I I will. So as I read through book, this book and so large, there's just so much and it just touches on certain events. And one of the events that it just kind of touches on and it just talks about it sporadically is the breaking of the world. And it's such a huge event to this book um, because it kind of helps define the reality that these people are living in, you know, without the breaking, it would be completely different. And so the breaking of the world was the very beginning of this age, you know, it happened at the very beginning of this age. And it's it's kind of a big event because it wasn't just the breaking of the world. It was the sealing of the bore as well. So what happened is, and, you know, the dark one's out. He's got us all as forsaken. They're attacking. So Luz there and Telamon that we read about you, right, in the in the prologue, he attacks this, uh, the, the Shale ghoul to seal this boar. And he seals it. And in doing so, uh, he locked 13 of the most powerful forsaken in there, uh, sealed off the dark one from the world. Um, but it's a last-ditch effort. The dark one was able to use a backlash and... Uh, taint Satan, and that's the uh, male half of the source, right? We've got Sadar, which is the female, Satan is the male. And basically what it did is, you know, if men were to channel, it, it turns them mad slowly. Um, you know, they start, you know, seeing things out of the corner of their eye, seeing things that aren't there, the reality completely changes. Whatever it is, what you know, I mean, it just sounds like it just could be anything so after they sealed the boar all these men started going crazy and they started attacking the world and it was so bad that both the light forces and the dark forces stopped fighting had to put down all these men yeah. and, and kill them and, and stop the this catastrophic event and the breaking of the world it was probably more devastating that than the actual war of light right yeah it was i mean whole towns were destroyed uh, millions and millions of people were killed. Well, the face and, of the land was changed, right? Yeah, face of the land was changed because it wasn't like a five or ten year event. The breaking lasted for, you know, 250, 300 years. And it talks about it. So uh, the information that's great to read, and I, I quote this in it, is the world of Robert, uh, the world of Robert Jordan's will, The Will of Time. Uh, and it, it talks a lot, of, you know, a bit about it. And that's kind of where I got my information from, straight from that. And, I, I mean, it was so destructive that nobody is exactly sure how long it lasted because nobody was alive that knew the dates anymore. And 
and it just kind of talks about that, you know, like the events surrounding it, you know, who, what Luce Theron's goal was, who helped him. They're called the companions, you know, who they were and things like that. And, and, it, and it's good knowledge to know. It's a good little history to know because you will always read about the breaking. Yeah. It, you know, everything comes down, you know, starts from the breaking to this, you know, to these events that we're reading to now. And, uh, you know, so it's a good little read. It's only like, you know, a page and a half long total. I would suggest reading it. It's a fun read and it's going to give you some good information, you know, about the beginning. And, and I'm going to do this periodically um, throughout this just to give us more information as, as we talk about different things, you know, uh, so that you have some context uh, and, and, it, and it's exciting. And then you can know what we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, the breaking great event. I, the only bummer thing about it is I wish I would have known more about it. I, I think that would be really cool to see, you know, exactly all the events that happened in the breaking, you know, just, just everything is it, really neat. Yeah. So, that could be its own 15 book series is how the breaking happened. What went down afterwards. Oh. All that. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Because I mean, everybody was hurt, and we'll read more about what an Ogier is later. But like Ogier were left wandering the world. Um, th- there was no cities as we know them to like. If you what you think of a city, there was just like little uh, huts of groups of people of like five and ten people. There just wasn't society. Yeah, and that that's how vast the destruction was. Yeah. So just a little bit more about the boar. There was the creator and then there's the dark one who are always in contention with you know, with one another. The the dark one is, he can only touch the world through the boar, right? This hole in reality, linking our world to the dark one's the dimension or whatever, his world or whatever it is. And so um, when Luz Theron sealed the boar, he covered that hole using the seven Quendiar seals. And those will come into play later. But um, so that's what sealing the boar means. You'll read a lot about that too as we go on sealing the boar. That's um, just closing off the hole, the doorway that the dark one mm-hmm. uses to to touch our world and cause chaos. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the boar was created in the second age and we call it the age of legends. And it talks about that a little bit in the book and we can talk a little bit uh, more about that. I didn't start there just because it's not an age the books are in whereas the breaking happened you know was the very beginning of the age but you know we can talk more if people would like to hear about it we don't really know anything about it except you know what we can read in like five pages in 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 this book by robert jordan and Teresa patterson and the way that's explained is like there's i think they said that there's a book and the most pages together are like 11 pages yeah age of legends so they you know not even the current book is knowledgeable on what happened in the age of legends uh we just know it was an awesome time and then it <laughs> ended with the sealing of the board yeah yeah so we can get into that once we get to that part in the story or maybe perhaps a little earlier but yeah there's more to the story but yeah so that's our episode of this uh third episode of the fourth Taviran, uh, chapters 11 through 15 next week will be 16 through 20 yes and you want to listen to it because chapter 19 is hopping things <laughs> get amazing it's probably one of my favorite chapters in this book yeah yeah that part's one of my favorites too yeah if you have any questions or comments or 
want to give us feedback or anything, definitely reach out to us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook under Credible Nerds. And send us an email at CredibleNerds at gmail.com. Just let us know what you think. If you like our show, if you feel like we could do a better job, let us know what that is. Uh, we're always looking to improve and get better. And if there's a segment you'd like to hear on our, hear on our show that we're not talking about, let us know. If you want to hear more about Bella, let us know. <laughs> Because you'll hear plenty about her in like literally every book and every event that ever happens. So yeah, let us know what you think. We love talking about Wheel of Time. We're looking forward to the Amazon TV series that'll be coming out hopefully next year, later this year. I haven't specified when that is, but we're looking forward to it. Um, like we talked about earlier, I've been Wheel of Time readers for about 20 years now. So definitely it's a, a dream come true for us. So let us know what you think. So yeah, definitely follow us on, on social media. Also support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash credible nerds. Um, get some extra bonus coverage, not only for the fourth Taviran episodes, but our other nerdy episodes that we talk about where we review movies, TV shows, books, um, just general nerd news. We have our bonus content there on Patreon. So check us out there, support us there. If you, if you want to, but we appreciate you listening to us and we'll catch you next time. See you guys. While recording this last episode, Mark and I kept talking about certain topics that contain spoilers. So we wanted to put this at the end of the podcast and give you a spoiler warning. If you haven't read all 15 books of The Wheel of Time, you will be exposed to some spoilers. So just be warned. Uh, we spend a few minutes talking about Matt, Rand, and Lan, and who's the better swordsman who would win in a one-on-one -on -one duel between these three. And so we get some speculation on that. So sit back and enjoy this bonus content so your question is can matt beat rand or lan in uh, a like a duel or yeah a duel with weapons one-on-one -on -one? yes with no power like no power you know no using yeah. power because otherwise lan just picks him up rips him in half and whatever he wants to do yeah are you talking like right now in the story or just at the peak of their powers at the peak huh because I just passed that part where he just slam dunked uh, Gawain and uh, Gilad's faces. Oh yeah, at the tower. when he's like on you know an inch away from Death's bed. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he goes in there and just like dunks on their faces. You know, and so I'm just like, oh my gosh, like how <laughs> awesome is this guy really? Because those two are considered like top five best swordsmen of the yeah. era. Well, this is before he went into the, the doorways too, right? Yeah, before he went into the doorway. This is book two. Yeah, and so it's like, man, by book, book 13, like... Or maybe it's book three, but still early. Mm -hmm. Like, how awesome is he? Like, how good is he? Could, yeah. could, you know, could he beat Rand, who's considered the second best, or could he beat Land, who's considered the best I with think... Ashendari? I guess you got to determine who's better, Rand or Lan. I think if, at the peak, Rand is better. So can Matt beat Lan? I, yeah, I think so. 
I don't know if he can beat Ram though. I think it'd be a, a tie at best. Oh yeah, I could see it just because like Rand has all that knowledge too, right? It's not just Matt that has all the knowledge. Yeah, I don't know. That's good because Rand's taller, so he has he's a little bit stronger, but Matt's quicker. I don't know, man. Because I think Matt is totally uh, um, looked over as oh, like yeah. a deadly hand-to-hand fighter. But after that, I was like, oh my gosh, like, are you? Like and then he beat Khaled, you know, Cool Dane or whatever. How do you, however you say, who say his name? Yeah, in one on, you know, one v one. And this is like a, um, a warrior that's like amazing. And I remember it like it was a cool fight, but it, it's not like Matt. It was close. Matt killed him pretty solidly. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, it definitely be. It wouldn't be one sided. It'd be close. Maybe ran. Maybe Matt wins. Hmm. Yeah, I wonder. Matt is just pretty much the sword. Well, Matt can do the staff, the sword, the bow. I mean, he's he's more um, more yeah. versatile. Yeah, more more versatile. Hmm. Yeah, be interesting. We'll have to ask that question when we get like way down the road. But uh, I've always, you know, after I read that again, I was like, oh yeah, he was <laughs> pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. Like. Is he more awesome than these guys? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think those are the top three in the story. I would say. Mm-hmm. Are, who is there any dark friends or dark forsaken who are good? Uh, I mean, match them. Uh, Demon Dread um, is good. Ravine was supposed to be really good. Remember, uh, in book three, Ravine was actually beating ran pretty good until uh what's his name until um moraine killed him with a uh, bellfire but it was only book three you know but it's uh it's kind of hinted that ravine had beaten loose there and telemon in their prime hmm. was he the one that had the scar uh he's the one that um uh, from loose there from, no no that's Samael. Oh yeah, yeah. No, uh, yeah. Ravine is isn't he the one that took over? Uh, yeah, yeah. Camelin and put uh, more gas kind of under his spell. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, I wish they would have done like a, like even though they were just like practicing, and had those three face off with each other. Mm-hmm. Anderson should have done it because he he does those type of stories or moments and stories oh the moment i can't wait to get to is when uh matt and rand are like having that one-up session you know and he's like are you really trying to one-up the dragon reborn you know and then matt's like i saved my rain take that put that in your hat and stuff it and just like walks away <laughs> yeah it cracked me up yeah that's awesome yeah, he, he's Round was awesome until he got all dark and moody. Yeah, and he was like, I was just kind of like, man, what's your problem? Like, are you for real? Like, yeah. you're just gonna, like, especially when you went to the Sianchen the first time. You know, I mean, he's like, uh, you know, and I think it was in book 14 when he went and he was like almost freaked out and killed everybody. Yeah. And then he went to the mountain and I don't know, 
became sane. I don't, I don't remember, but you know, like I was like, hey, this is this guy's like losing it, like too much losing it. Yeah. Overall, he's my favorite character, but there was times where he was just kind of hard to read, or like, dude, snap out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just for your information, we have some additional bonus content for our Patreon subscribers. If you want to check out our Patreon account at patreon.com slash thecrediblenerds, you'll find some bonus content for this episode as well as all of our episodes that we record, including our fourth Taviran episodes. So check us out there and support us there if you can. Thanks for listening to the fourth Taviran, a Wheel of Time podcast with your hosts, the credible nerds, Mark and Justin. Do we know anything about, um, what's that more draw? That's like the, the chief. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, so, what I heard um, was that Shada Haran was like a way for like, um, let's see, I'm pulling up now. If I remember right, it was like, he was like a way for the dark one to leave Shada Loga or yeah, to leave Shea Ghoul in a way. Let me, let me look real quick. Because he just showed up in one of the books, right? All of a sudden, he was there, and he's like in charge of the Forsaken. But yeah, I mean, an explanation, I don't think. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, we just see his husk laying there. <laughs> yeah, his gaze strikes fear in the. So I wonder if it's just one of those things that uh, they couldn't find in Robert Jordan's notes. So they just kind of wrote him off like, well, we don't know what to do with this guy. Yeah, maybe. Kind of like, I feel like that's what happened with uh, Patton Fane. Like, look, he's got all this crazy power and we don't know what to do with him. So uh, we'll have Matt just kill him because he's immune to the, uh, you know, to the knife or something like that yeah he ended up being anticlimactic at the end mm-hmm. and it wasn't he the one that just showed up yeah i'm here i'm gonna kill you and then he dies yeah he shows up with all this power and like you've got like undead trollocks following yeah. him or something like that and he like start just comes in the valley and starts laying havoc to everybody and then he like touches matt with me you know um the mashadar and then Matt stabs him with the ruby. He's like, oh, I've already been down that path. That can't affect me again or something like that. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay. That wasn't cool. <laughs> yeah, they needed to build his story up a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, Even as it was, was, there was so much going on in those last chapters. that Kind of. But he was he was part of the story from the like the first chapter, right? The second chapter. Mm-hmm. He deserves something bigger than what he got, I think. 
Yeah. yeah, he deserved a way better ending than that, and that that's why I say I I almost feel like they didn't have notes, like they were just incomplete notes, and nobody knew what to do with them, and so you yeah, know, yeah. And they just kind of had to change the story. I I mean I I don't know. I always thought that Shadar uh, Haran and uh, um and Pat and Fane were gonna fight. Yeah, that would have been cool. Because he yeah. took out more draws left and right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you have this super fade yeah. that, you know. Fame. Yeah, that would have been cool. Mm-hmm. But never saw it. They both had crappy endings. <laughs> yeah. Almost like we needed another book <laughs> i know we do that'd be so cool